0: Well, we're in our uh, Acts series this morning. We are back to it last week. We took a little break from, from Acts, and we um, unpacked Psalm 95, and we talked a little bit about corporate worship and, and, and why we do the things we do in corporate worship. So a- anytime we have an off Sunday when there's a guest speaker up at the North Campus, uh, we have the opportunity here to do something a little bit different. So it was, uh, it was fun to be able to talk about corporate worship last week. If you missed that, and you're wondering why we sing and why we gather and why Uh, gathering together to worship matters. Um, I would encourage you to to check out the podcast. You can either get it uh, at newlifedowntown.com. That's our website. Or you can uh, get it from iTunes and just search New Life Downtown. You can find it. But we're back in our Acts series today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, that's where we're going to camp out the first um, seven verses or so so of that chapter. So flip over there with me. Uh, And then uh, let me recap just a little bit of what's happened so far. Um, This is part eight, as you can see on the screen, because we've, we've done a couple more talks uh, than there are chapters, and that may happen. We don't know exactly how many talks we're going to have, but we're going to try to get through this whole book this year. Um, so Acts is this, is this um, account of the story of how the church began, but it's written, uh, we, you know, scholars sort of think, um, much later than, um, than, the, than the events themselves. In fact, very likely, Acts was written after a lot of Paul's letters um, were already written. And so, one of the reasons maybe that, that Luke, by tra- who by tradition wrote this book, one of the reasons Luke is writing Acts is as a way of saying, okay, now that there's all these little churches and congregations that have spread and that have planted all around the region, um, maybe as a church kind of spreads and develops, um, you, you sort of tend to forget how it all began and, 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 and why it all began. And so Acts is a way of kind of saying, let me tell you the story of the, of the first church and how it was formed, and and maybe that can be an encouragement for you. And so we talked about what learning to wait on the Lord does, and then we talked about um, Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes on us to proclaim Jesus, and we talked about healing and the, the wrestling about miracles, the reality of Jesus being still at work on the earth today through us and yet it, it doesn't work quite like magic does. And we talked about that. And then we talked about opposition, the church facing its first sort of taste of opposition in Acts 4. And, uh, and then in Acts 5, we, talked about, we looked at Ananias and Sapphira and this sort of um, struggle from within. Now we have kind of in Acts 6, seemingly kind of an ordinary moment. Uh, if the book of Acts were like a TV miniseries or a TV drama... This would be that episode where if you missed it, you wouldn't probably go back and Hulu it or something, you know, it'd be like, I don't know, it wasn't, nothing much happened, I mean, there was no bombs blowing up, there was no, it was like, not a high-paced kind of deal. I mean, last week, or or two weeks ago in Acts 5, it was really high-paced, you had like church members dying after they give an offering, you know, and then you had like, I mean, it's like bizarro land, I mean, there's like these different movements in Acts 5, and then there's Peter's shadow healing people, and then there's, you know, the the guys being as uh, set free from prison and all of this stuff. And now we get to Acts 6, and it's almost like, whew, take a deep breath. What's the deal with all the people that are here, you know? And now we're kind of saying, look, now that the church is, has been going, there's actually problems of gasp administration, <laughs> you know? And someone said, you know, I wish Jesus would have been on earth long enough to see the movement that he started kind of go into its 2.0 phase because anybody who started a revolutionary movement knows that the first generation is always exciting. You know, it's like, oh man, we're breaking new ground, we're doing this. But the second generation or the 2.0 phase is always like systems and infrastructure and administration. It's like, ugh, you don't want to be the guy that followed that guy, you know. like, it, this, is the, this is not as exciting, we think. And yet... There's a reason Luke is telling us this story. So in Acts 6, we're about to see the church kind of facing a challenge, really kind of the challenge of growth, uh, the, the, the challenge of how do you handle when things begin to grow and, 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 and flourish. And I think that's interesting because for all of us here in America, maybe these are the challenges that we're more accustomed to. And we talked about persecution, living in opposition that's sort of like, well, I don't know what that's like. And yet, you know, as I mentioned in my sermon on that, maybe it's because we need to live more in opposition to the way of the world to, to feel, you know, kind of the rub of that. But when, you, when we talk about, you know, the church kind of is, is dealing with the challenge of growth, of the challenge of, of being blessed, we kind of say, well, that's, that's interesting. And in some small ways, we know about the ordinary problems that develop from a lot of people showing up in a place, you know, uh, Glenn, these white chairs aren't very comfortable, you know, You know, or uh, have you realized how hot the building gets when there's like a couple of hundred of us in here, and have you seen the maximum occupancy sign up there by that, you know, <laughs> and and by the way, that's not actually the maximum occupancy, I've talked to the owners, they they, they went way low on that, it's actually a bit, bit higher, so, um, but, and then there's these problems of, well, so so what are we going to do, I mean, if it stays this full by August, I mean, I mean, what, you know, what's the, What's the challenge here of growth? And on the one hand, you could say, these are like ordinary problems. Come on, people, get over it. I would never say that. <laughs> and on the other hand, you could say, but these, this is the reality, and this is the challenge of, of, of a growing congregation. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. So, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, about that time, while the number of disciples continued to increase, a complaint arose. No dishonesty, no persecution, just complaint. Doggone it. Even they had people who complained? Yep. Greek-speaking disciples accused the Aramaic-speaking disciples because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food service. Now, for us, this kind of doesn't mean much, but, but you have to understand that ethnic lines uh, were quite a big deal in the first century. And, 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 you know, in our world, it's not like there's zero. Ethnic lines do still for better or for worse, means something sometimes. And the church began as this Jewish movement. And so it, it really for the first several, you know, the little while here, the first season here, it's primarily Jewish followers of Jesus who have come to see Jesus as Israel's Messiah. But then there's these Greek converts that have come in. And we don't know if they're Greek by ethnicity or they're just Greek speaking, so they're not very Jewish, you know. Um, but, but all of a sudden when one group begins to feel neglected... If you've ever been a, a group that's felt neglected, you start to invent reasons in your mind of how it was done on purpose, right? Well, I bet they're just not doing this because they don't like old people at this church, or I bet they're not doing this because they don't like da 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 da. da. I bet the you know whatever the reasons are, it's just I can't say it's human nature because remember that sermon a few w- weeks ago where I said we're all subhuman because of the fall. It's subhuman nature <laughs> to sort of see something and kind of ah, I don't know maybe that's maybe that's just, but oftentimes, it's not just perception, sometimes it could be reality. Sometimes there are prejudices that we have, you know, whether it's, uh, it, and it, it's highlighted, honestly, nationally, when you, when you talk about the immigration issue. All of a sudden, prejudices that you didn't think you had kind of show up, and how dare this, and how dare, you know, and, and, and imagine, do you think that ever impacts the church, I mean, what if the church kind of is dealing with these issues, and you say, well, well, wait a minute, I mean, how, do we really have to care for them? I mean, don't we only care for these people and all of this stuff? Well, this is what's going on. And the twelve called a meeting of all the disciples and said, it isn't right for us to set aside proclamation of God's Word in order to serve tables. Brothers and sisters, carefully choose seven well-respected men from among you. They must be well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. Some translations say, well-respected men who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Kind of those three things. And we'll put them in charge of this concern. And as for us, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the service of proclaiming the Word. Now this proposal pleased the entire community. And they selected Stephen, a man endowed by the Holy Spirit with exceptional faith. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, you're catching on to this. These are Greek names. We're going to talk about that in a moment. The community presented to these seven. These seven to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, and God's word continued to grow. I love that phrase. It's God's word that continued to grow, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased significantly. Even a large group of priests embraced the faith. There's a way of saying here that more barriers are being transcended, and God, the gospel of Jesus. Is, is, is spreading uh, even beyond what they would have thought it would have spread. So a couple things I want us to, to notice from this. One is that servant leaders arise when a need arises. Uh, these deacons, these men who eventually we sort of think of them as deacons, um, they're, they're, they're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, well respected by others, but the task that they're doing I mean, if we were to be honest here, the task that they're doing is to wait on tables, is to make sure that food is distributed to the Greek-speaking widows. And so we want to just observe here that servant leaders arise when a need arises. Jim, you can put that up there if you got it. Um, uh, and and, and, and that, that's, that's an interesting thing to note. When you think about the New Testament and how leadership works, there are times when leadership sort of flows from the, the top down, where God is saying, okay, I'm setting aside these people and they're apostles and I have called them. Or we think of what's coming in a few chapters when, when Saul, soon to be Paul, gets this dramatic encounter on the road and God is setting him apart. But that doesn't mean that's the only time that leadership is appointed. That's the only way that leadership is appointed. Sometimes it flows from the top down. Other times it rises from the bottom up. And so here, here's a need that sort of surfaces. A need arises, and then these leaders kind of arise. I think one of the great joys for me about you know, doing New Life Downtown and being part of, of this work here is seeing how people arise when needs arise. One example of this in, in a simple way is this board we have here called Freely Give, Freely Receive. And there's blue cards and yellow cards. And one of the cards is a way of saying... This is what I'm in need of. And another card is a way of saying, this is what I can offer. And sometimes it doesn't always match up. Sometimes you need something and there's not quite anyone here who can meet that. And I, I know some of you are like, well, I put my card up a month ago. And you know? That's kind of the risk of this thing. Sometimes it's, it's, it's like that. But other times there are these beautiful stories where there's this need that arises and then there are servant leaders within the congregation that rise up to kind of meet it. I wanted to take this moment this morning to point out to you all the men and women who are serving here at New Life Downtown. There are people that come here at 7 a.m. or a little before every Sunday um, who set up chairs, who set up the sound system, who practice, who, uh, the band, the team that, 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 that um, leads us in worship and prepares for it. There are people that uh, come every Sunday that we don't see them up here because they're downstairs ministering to our kids and teaching them a Bible lesson and and preparing that there, there are men and women who are preparing the communion. There are people that are doing uh, the usher things. There, there are some that are walking uh, the grounds, w- w- just keeping an eye, making sure everything's in order and everything's safe. There are people that stay late after the 11 o'clock service and tear down stuff and don't leave till 1.30, you know. And it's, it's more than half their day. But there are people that are doing this because they are glamorous needs that have arisen. No, they are ordinary needs that have arisen. So if you're on the New Life Downtown team and you serve in any capacity, would you just stand so we can honor you this morning? Amen. 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 It's, it's truly an amazing, uh, amazing thing. And some of you say, well, well are, are, there, are there more needs? Can I jump in? The answer is always yes. Uh, yes, there, Yeah. There's, there's room on the setup team, on the kids ministry, communion, there's all this. So, if you want to jump in, jump in. Because it's not a kind of thing where, oh, well, I just need to wait for the pastor to invite me to do this. No, 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 no. Look, if there's a need, let's rise up and fill it. That's sort of how it begins to, to happen a little bit organically. The second thing here is that servant leaders are established as trust is established. One of the things they say is they say, hey, okay, look. Look for men that are full of the Holy Spirit, that are full of wisdom, that are well respected, or that have a good reputation. This is interesting to me, and we could do, if this were like a leadership seminar, you, we could do a whole talk here on the difference between leadership in the Old Testament and leadership in the New Testament. In fact, some of you might, might find that to be an interesting study because Paul goes on in one of his letters to Timothy and then to Titus and gives all these qualifications for deacons and then for elders. And do you know that from what we can tell, deacon seems to be kind of the quote-unquote simplest, lowest, maybe, um, position of leadership in in, in these early congregations. Do you know that the greatest leader in the Old Testament, King David, would not have met the qualifications for the lowest position of leadership in the New Testament? You think, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? (laughs) What do we say about this? And I suggest one thing, just think about this, you can test, this is a hypothesis, okay? This is not like dogma, this is hypo- a hypothesis you can test out. I think that in the Old Testament, leadership was, was, um, div- was based on who the Holy Spirit anointed. And because this is before the Spirit of God is poured out on everybody, there were only a few individuals that had the Holy Spirit on them, and so David's anointed, he, the Holy Spirit is on him, the prophet has spoken, he's chosen, he's the leader no matter what. Now he's got, to, he's got obligations to God, and he's got to answer to God and all of that. But in the New Testament, what do you do when everyone in the congregation has the Holy Spirit poured out on them? Then you can't say, well, I, you know, I should lead because I've got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, so, well, well, I do too. <laughs> oh, well, then I should lead because I really want to. You know, no, wait, uh, well, how, how do we do this? And I think that's why I, th- I think if you if you could boil down these qualifications, even Paul's lists in First Timothy and in Titus, and also, I think if you boiled it down, you would say this: the ones who who rise up to leadership have gained the trust of the people, have gained a certain measure of trust of the people, where the people of God bear witness and they say, "We see something in you, and we and you've earned this trust." And so yes, so servant leaders are established. As the trust is established. That's why sometimes someone will say, well, I want to really uh, jump in and on the worship team. I want to do that. I want to do that. Or I want to uh, preach or I would like to do this. And a lot of times we'll say, well, you know what? We just kind of need to see how the trust develops here. And, and, and it's, not like, um, it's not like we're trying to be, be mean or whatever, but it just sort of takes a little time. And then you, you can watch a person's life and you watch their family and you watch them serve. And then you say, you know what? There is something on you, man. You, you need to be doing this. This is on you. And I want to give you an example of this. About a couple years ago or so, Jesse and Cassie Medina began attending New Life Sunday night. And, and, and Jesse has, has uh, you know, he's got a, he studied Bible in his undergrad and he served as a youth pastor. And he came in and he said, well, look, what's, what's the biggest need? And I said, honestly, we just kind of need someone to help with, with setup. And back when we were meeting in the tent set up involved like hanging parking lot signs and things like that. So Chris and Jesse and a number of others kind of kind of rose up and said, well, we'll take care of that. And we're, and we're moving couches and we're doing all of this stuff. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we prayed over Jesse and Cassie because they, they were thinking that they might be moving to Oregon and they were going to help this church. Well, right after we brought them up in front and prayed for them, Jesse and I had lunch and, and I discovered that there were some things about the situation that he was going to be moving to that, that changed, uh, that made it, uh, quite a bit more risky or costly for his family and all of that. And so we said, well, let, let's let's whenever, sometimes when that happens, it's an occasion to step back and say, God, are you leading this or are we jumping the gun here? You know, sometimes in silence you take a risk of faith, but sometimes when the, when the cost of the decision goes up, you say, well, well, if I don't have this word from the Lord to go, maybe I'm just acting in my own and I need to rethink. And so so we, we talked through that and he and Cassie prayed through that. And, and the result of it was to say, you know what? I think we were getting ahead of ourselves here. I think we need to stay. And so in, in staying, I was, when he told me that, I was thrilled. I was like, yeah, you're staying. But I also know that there's this gift and trust. There's a gift in Jesse. There's a trust that's been established. And there's a need that we kind of have here that's growing here at New Life Downtown. And that is we need someone to help teach a Bible lesson to our third through fifth grade kids. You know, right now, our, our, our children's ministry is like newborn all the way up to second grade. And so I said, Jesse, what would you think about, if you stay on, what would you think about helping to teach that? And he came to me the next day. and was like, I don't see any reason why I shouldn't do that. I'd love to do that. So hopefully, starting in July, we're going to be able to offer um, children's ministry for third through fifth graders. Now, here's the way we have to do it. Uh, and this is, a, this is a bit of a, a, a way of announcing something in the midst of a sermon here. The, the way we're going to do it is, um, is we can only do it in the 9 a.m. service because a lot of times we have fewer kids that are younger in the 9 a.m. so we have an extra room that op- often opens up. So we'll do it in the 9 a.m. And here's also how we'll do it. We'll have families worship together. And then during joy time, third through fifth graders will be dismissed. They'll follow Jesse down. And then they'll have a Bible lesson. And then they'll come back up for communion, we think. That's, that's the rough template we're going to work with, so they can, you can do communion as a family. And the only part that third through fifth graders miss is my uh, uh, lecture, but they'll get an amazing lesson. So, so that's, that's kind of the goal. And then, and then beyond that, Je- because of Jesse's heart and experience in youth ministry, uh, we're, we're working on, on talking about ways to maybe develop a Sunday afternoon, Sunday uh, early evening kind of high school, teenage, junior high, small group kind of setting, campus group kind of idea. So... All to say to you, this stuff is happening. Acts 6, this is real. This is how it develops. There's needs, and then there's people who earn trust and rise to, to meet them. Does that, do you see that? So I just thought it was kind of cool. Not only could I unveil something here, but it just sort of is the text being lived out. The other thing I want us to kind of see for this, and we don't have a point for this on the screen, but just kind of by way of talking about these leaders, is all seven of these guys have Greek names, and their job is to take care of the Greek widow, Greek-speaking widows who felt neglected. I think there are so many times where God chooses people from the group that has been marginalized or missed out to be the ones who are the answer to that very group. Maybe another way to say it is God uses your story to help you be the solution to others who have gone through that. And sometimes you may say, well, I don't, you know, it, it's been a few years now, but I walked through this Difficulty as as a parent, I had had a child who was this. I walked through this, and maybe I can find. Maybe the Lord. Maybe you pray when you come in here on a Sunday. God, lead me to others who feel like they're all alone in walking through a season like that. And sometimes one of my great joys as a pastor is not being the person who meets the need, but being the person who connects people to each other, who help be the body of Christ to each other. And someone says, you know, I'm really wrestling with this, this, and this, and say, you know what? I need to introduce you to so and so because they walked through that a couple years. Do you mind if I, oh no, I, I think that'd be great. And then, and then that sort of happens. So here these, these dudes who speak Greek or have Greek names are part of the guys who are the solution to the, the feeling of neglect by the Greek-speaking widows. Do you see that? Uh, Henry Nouwen calls this kind of the wounded healer idea. Sometimes out of our own woundedness or our own wounds or our own journey, our own story, God br- brings healing out of it to others. And so maybe you're sitting here in church this morning, and you're thinking, well, what What's my story? What's my journey? What, what am I going through that I can maybe help others through? And maybe you're, you're on the tail end of fatherhood or parenting and you're looking at others who are on the front end of it and, and you're thinking, yeah, I need, to, I need to tell these guys a little something here that, that I wish someone had told me or on and on it goes. And you think of examples like that. Well, I want to switch gears just a little bit and, and talk about fathers, These apostles that said, you know what, we we, we need to um, not neglect the service of the Word of God and prayer. We need to be able to devote ourselves to this. You know, at at first blush when you read that, even when you hear those verses, it's not right that we give up the proclamation of the Word to wait on tables. It almost sounds a little elitist, doesn't it? I mean, it's almost like, gee, excuse me, preacher man, you know, like, um, but that's not the heart of this. I think the heart of this is saying, look, pastors can become business managers instead of fathers. And it happens very, very easily. It happens very easily because so much of church life is administrative. There's stuff to do and organize and all this stuff. But I think these first apostles became what we call this whole era here of church fathers. The apostles became fathers of the church because they refused to become business managers of the church. Because they insisted on devoting themselves to the Word of God and prayer. Now, if this were a pastor's conference, we could really explore that and talk about pastors devoting themselves to the Word of God and to prayer. But I want us to use a little biblical imagination this morning. Have a little, uh, have a little imagination with this text. And think about not the household of God, but think about our households. And think about fathers in that household really dads have the same temptation that these first apostles had dads can get caught up in running the business affairs of the home well, you know, i got make the money i pay the bills i organize this stuff and i've got the schedule and okay okay wait, wait, what's going on I mean, let's get the kids to bed you know and i find myself in this because i come home at 5 30 or whatever and the kids are going to bed at 7 30 i've got two hours to, to to do stuff and sometimes it's like well let's move these two hours along you know just honest, okay? don't look at me like I'm weird, like you've never felt that way. Come on. <laughs> uh, you're all looking at me like, Pastor? <laughs> In the opening scene of um, the, the, the new George Clooney movie, The Descendants, and I haven't seen it truly, um, but he talks about the feeling of being a, a backup parent. You know, so I've always sort of been the backup parent, you know, and I think dad's. Sometimes that happens to us, you know, because we're not, depending on how the setup is in your home, for the most part, many of us are not there as much as, as moms are. And so dads can, can, can slip into this thing, feeling like, well, I'm sort of the backup parent. If mom can't be there, then, then I'm there. But, but more or less, I run the business affairs of the home, and I make sure that everything's taken care of and provided for. And I just want to say to you this morning that God's calling on us as dads is so much Deeper than being the business managers of our homes. That to be a father means to give ourselves to our families and to our homes. But we can't do that unless we give ourselves to the Word of God and to prayer. Just as the apostles became church fathers because they devoted themselves to the Word of God and prayer instead of just the business affairs. So men, we become fathers in our households when we devote ourselves to the Word of God and to prayer, and not just the running of the home. Does that make sense? And I, I think there's something in that. My parents were, were, were just here, and many of you got to meet them the last couple Sundays, and uh, they, they flew out on Thursday morning. And, and um, my parents are not perfect. They, they have, they'll be the first to tell you they're not perfect. Whenever someone says to them, oh, you know, you did a great job raising you, because they'll always say, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is not about, come on, let's be perfect. But one of the things that is like seared in my mind and in my heart is this image of seeing my dad on Saturday mornings before the sun was up, like slip away downstairs in the living room and just begin to pray. One of the first things I would see when I woke up on a Saturday morning was my dad on his knees just praying. Sometimes it was the reason I woke up because he was praying and singing so loudly a little bit off-key, you know. <laughs> he had like the latest Hosanna cassette tape like blaring and he'd be like, He's singing and we're all like, Oh God, is it Saturday morning? Is it time to wake up already? You know? But he devoted himself to the Word of God and to prayer. Men, we don't have anything to give if we don't have the time to devote ourselves to the Word of God and prayer. We don't have anything to invest. We don't become... Fathers are the ones who initiate, who instigate, who originate. We author. We're fathers. But you can't author or father or originate or initiate... If you aren't receiving from our Father in Heaven, if we aren't devoting ourselves to the Word of God and to prayer, faithful fathers devote themselves to the Word of God and prayer, to prayer and the Word of God. I, I'll be honest, with young kids, this is a struggle for me. I mean, Holly and I talk about this all the time. Okay, how can I do better about having like family worship times and prayer times? And, 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 you know, when you have a two-year-old running around, it's not like this is like super spiritual, you know? This is like, okay, let's pray, guys. Hey, don't stop touching that, you know. I mean, it's, this, is not like the, uh, this is not like a monastic uh, prayer time here. And often, often, I find myself more devoted to screens than I am to the Word of God in prayer. I, I, I hold this thing in my hand that I carry around all the time. I practice the presence of the iPhone. <laughs> I am aware of it with me at all times. When it calls, I answer. We went on vacation a couple of weeks ago uh, up, up to Estes Park, and by the second day I said, Holly, where's my phone? And she goes, I'm not telling you. She stole it. She stole it and turned it off. <laughs> and it was the best, you know, five days that we had. And I was looking at elk and deer and all of this stuff up in Estes instead of... (laughs) Fellas, we have a problem, you know? And I, I, I think this is a day to say God is calling us to devote ourselves to prayer and the Word of God. So we can be more than business managers of the home We can be more than the backup parents. We can be fathers who have something to give, something to impart. And praise God for all of you who have lived that way, who are living that way. I'm wrestling to live that way. But there's even better news than all of that. When I look at this text and I think about servant leaders and I think about faithful fathers, what I can't help but see in this text is that Jesus is our servant leader. Imagine Jesus being like one of these seven deacons. Jesus being the one who brings us to the table. Jesus being the one who says, I'm not above serving. In fact, I left it all so that I could come down so that Gentile, Jew, male, female, rich, poor, doesn't matter. I've come to wait on your table so that you can come and be part of the family. Jesus is our servant leader. Jesus is the one who says, come on, nobody's left out of this meal. I'm going to make sure you're fed. Not only is Jesus the one waiting at the table, he's the feast at the table. His body is our bread. His blood is our cup. I mean, this is beautiful. And then when you see that Jesus is our servant leader, you all of a sudden realize that God is our faithful father. Both of those points are on the screen, guys. That God is our faithful Father, and so you recognize that all of a sudden, what we're doing is more than just trying to be better. Does that make sense? I could leave you with this. And say, okay, guys, oh, God bless you. Just go try be better today, fellas. You know, like yeah, you know, thanks. That's why I came to church on Father's Day. You know, to feel guilty. You know, <laughs> like no, 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 no. You're here to remember that Jesus is the one who's brought us to the table, despite our brokenness, despite our faults, despite us being outsiders. And then, as Jesus is our faithful father, or Jesus is our servant leader, we see God as our faithful father. God is the one. He's the father who's perfect, He's the father who's full of love, abounding in compassion, slow to anger unlike us sometimes as dads, we are sometimes quick to anger. Our Father is saying to us, come on, come in. I am more than enough for you. And so as we come to the communion table this morning, this is how I want us to come. I want us to come to say, God, thank You, Jesus, that You are our servant leader. Thank You that You're calling us to the table. You're waiting at the tables for us. And actually, You've set the table with Your own life, your own body and your own blood. And thank you that as we sit at this banquet table, now made worthy because of Jesus, now cleansed, now washed, now in the family, we look up and we see that God is our Father. God is the one who says, you're my son, you're my daughter. This isn't a performance-based thing. This is me saying, I am more than enough for you. I tell you when, you, when we catch that, that's how we become servant leaders and faithful fathers and mothers. Not because we've white-knuckled it or we're trying on it, but it's because we've been stunned by this love that has overtaken us. Amen? We've been consumed by the Jesus who stooped low to wash our feet. We've been overwhelmed by the Father who's brought us in with open arms. So let's pray together this morning as we get ready to come to the table.